Welcome to More Than Medicine, where Jesus is more than enough for the ills that plague our culture and our country. Hosted by author and physician, Dr. Robert Jackson. Papa, can you tell me a story? Do you really want me to tell you a story? (laughs) Well, you go get your brother and your sisters and I will tell you a story. Welcome to Devotions with Dr. Papa. Gather round, grab your Bibles, as we look into the written Word, which reveals to us the living Word, which is our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, we're still in the book of Daniel, and we are completing the dream, the vision in the night that King Nebuchadnezzar had that he could not recall. He could not remember. And God blessed Daniel with a vision in the night of his own. He went to sleep after praying, and God gave him in the night a revelation of the mystery in a night vision. Of course, being a God worshiper, Daniel woke up and he blessed and praised God for the revelation that God gave him the explanation of the vision. Daniel took no credit. He gave all the credit to the true and living God. And so today, I want us to discuss the king's dream. So the first point in today's lesson is the dream's divine interpretation. We're in Daniel chapter 2. We're going to go through from verse 31 to verse 49. So beginning... In verse 31, Daniel said, You, O king, were looking, and behold, there was a single great statue. That statue, which was large and of extraordinary splendor, was standing in front of you, and its appearance was awesome. The head of that statue was made of fine gold, its breast and its arms of silver, its belly and its thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. You continued looking until a stone was cut out without hands, and it struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and crushed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed all at the same time and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away, so that not a trace of them was found, but the stone that struck the statue became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream. Now we will tell its interpretation before the king. Now let's stop there a moment. Recall that the king could not remember his dream. He demanded that the wise men not only tell him his dream, but its interpretation as well. Now, what was their response in chapter 2 in verse 10 and 11? Well, they told the king, there is not a man on earth who could declare the matter for the king, inasmuch as no great king or ruler has ever asked anything like this of any magician, conjurer, or Chaldean. 
Moreover, the thing which the king demands is difficult, and there is no one else who could declare it to the king except God's, whose dwelling place is not with mortal flesh. Ha! Ha! You see, they set the standard for impossibility. But as we know, nothing is too difficult with God. All things are possible for our God. And as Daniel prayed in chapter 2, verses 22 to 23, you see, it is God who reveals the profound and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with Him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and power. Even now you have made known to me what we requested of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. You see, this was not hard for God. It was not difficult for the true and living God to reveal to his man in Babylon the king's dream. And then Daniel explains the dream. So that leads us to a divine interpretation. Let's, let me read this to you now in Daniel chapter 2, verse 36. Daniel explains... This was the dream. Now we will tell its interpretation before the king. You, O king, are the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, the strength, and the glory. Now you notice that Daniel attributed to the God of heaven the sovereign privilege of giving Nebuchadnezzar his kingdom, his power, his strength, and his glory. And he goes on to say, And wherever the sons of men dwell, or the beasts of the field, or the birds of the sky, he has given them into your hand, and has caused you to rule over them. You are the head of gold. So the statue with the head of gold, the very preeminent position, belonged to Nebuchadnezzar. And then very briefly, he describes the arms and shoulders that were silver, and the torso that was bronze. And this is all it says about it. After you there will arise another kingdom inferior to you, then another third kingdom of bronze, which will rule over all the earth. Now, from history, we know that the Medo-Persian Empire followed after Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. And we know that the Greek Empire, led by Alexander the Great, followed after the Medo-Persians and conquered them. And then it goes on to describe the fourth empire. Then there will be a fourth kingdom, as strong as iron, inasmuch as iron crushes and shatters all things. So like iron that breaks in pieces, it will crush and break all these in pieces. In that you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it will be a divided kingdom but it will have in it the toughness of iron, inasmuch as you saw the iron mixed with common clay. As the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of pottery, so some of the kingdom will be strong, and part of it will be brittle. And 
in that you saw the iron mixed with common clay, they will combine with one another in the seed of men. But they will not adhere to one another, even as iron does not combine with pottery. Now, what in the world can all of that mean? Well, historically, we know that the, the, the legs and the feet made of iron and mixed with clay refers to the Roman Empire and all of the Caesars and all of their greatness. And they were able to crush and break all other kingdoms. But it was iron mixed with common clay. And it was mixed with multiple nationalities, multiple races, and multiple kingdoms all combined together. Some of it strong, some of it brittle. And as, you could, and as we know from history, this kingdom did not stand. Now, it lasted for many years, but in the end it fell apart because it was mixed with multiple nationalities and they never could agree together and ultimately it fell. But then there's a description of a last kingdom, a divine kingdom. And here's its description. In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. And that kingdom will not be left for another people. That's in distinction to all these previous kingdoms that were left to someone else, which will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms, but it will itself endure forever. Inasmuch as you saw that a stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it crushed the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what will take place in the future. So the dream is true, and its interpretation is trustworthy. Oh my! From history, we know that all of these predictions came true. How did Daniel know this so far in advance? Because God sees the end from the beginning. He is the ruler of the kings of all the nations. He changes the times and the epochs. He removes kings and establishes kings. He gives wisdom to wise men and knowledge to men of understanding. Nothing happens on this planet that is not first sifted through His all-knowing and all-loving hands. That's how Daniel knew. He knew and understood the God of history, who is a revealer of the deep and hidden things of this earth. But let's look at that last kingdom, a divine kingdom a kingdom established by the God of heaven. It's an eternal kingdom, never destroyed, and will not be left for another people. It will crush and terminate the other previous kingdoms, but it will itself endure forever. What kind of kingdom could this be? It was represented by a stone that was cut out without human hands, i.e., of divine origin. All the other kingdoms were crushed and became like chaff, and then there was no trace left of them. 
But the new divine kingdom became a mountain that filled the whole earth. This could be none other than the kingdom of God, the spiritual kingdom of God, whose head is the Lord Jesus Christ, and whose people are a kingdom of priests purchased with his blood. It is a spiritual kingdom that that leavens a lump of dough, that grows quietly, that grows unseen and unobtrusively, yet inexorably, until the whole lump is leavened, until the whole world is influenced. Can you stop the influence of the leaven once it is introduced into the lump of dough? Of course not. Can persecution or obstruction stop the spread of the divine kingdom of God? Can it stop the spread of the gospel? Of course not. The greater the heat, the faster the spread of the leaven in the lump of dough. The greater the persecution, the faster the spread of the kingdom of God. In Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, there's a fascinating scripture that we usually share just at at Christmas time. And you know this scripture well. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. What a perfect description of the spiritual kingdom of God and the fact that it's an eternal kingdom, a spiritual kingdom that has no end. And the passage tells us that the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Goodness gracious. How did Daniel know this so many years before? It's because he knew the hidden hand of God that's behind all of history. And he knew the God who is a revealer of the hidden things, the secret things. Why is all of this important to you and me today? You see, it affects our world view. It affects the lens with which you and I look at life today. It affects the grid through which you and I look at future events. You see, I know folks today, even Christian folks, who fret constantly about world affairs. They fret constantly about the World Economic Forum and the World Health Organization and the Davos Global Elites plans for a one-world government and world domination. But listen to me, brothers and sisters. Listen, you know what God thinks about that? Let me give you a scripture so that you can understand God's worldview, God's perspective on the matter. In Psalms chapter 2, the Bible says, Why are the nations in an uproar and the peoples devising a vain thing? Why are the Davos elites devising 
a vain thing. The kings of the earth take their stand. The global elites and the multi-billionaires take their stand. And the rulers take counsel together every year in Davos <laughs> against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. Now, hear clearly what God's response to that is. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then he will speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury, saying, But as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. Now, there's a whole lot more in Psalms chapter 2, and I don't have time to read it all, but you need to read it all, and you need to include it in your worldview, your understanding of what's going to happen in the future. Now, listen, my friend. We know the end of the story. We know and understand that all of time and history marches inexorably to a God-ordained, predetermined conclusion. We know that there will be wars and rumors of wars. We know that the man of perdition must come. We know that Antichrist will one day appear and will construct a one-world government, a one-world economy, a one-world financial system. He'll even have a, a one-world army. We know that he himself will arrange a treaty with Israel, but will break that treaty in the middle of the Great Tribulation period. I believe that the church will be taken up in the rapture at the beginning of the Tribulation. We know that Jesus will return at the end of the at, at the second time at the end of the tribulation to conclude the battle of Armageddon, destroying all of his foes with the breath of his mouth and establishing his physical earthly throne in Jerusalem for a thousand years. We know that Satan will be bound for a thousand years in the bottomless pit. We know that Antichrist and the beast and the false prophet will be cast in the lake of fire. <laughs> you see, that's the world view of Ezekiel, Daniel, and John the Revelator. That's our world view. So don't fret. Just look up and say, Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. But what do we do in the meantime? Do we run for the hills? and hide until Jesus comes? Oh, no, 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 brothers and sisters, a thousand times no. There are no chicken littles in Scripture. The Bible doesn't tell us to let our hands hang limply at our sides in passivity and fear. The Bible says to stand firm, to act like men, to put on the full armor of God, to take up the sword of the Spirit, to gird up your loins with the belt of truth, to contend for the faith, to possess the land. These are all commands of action. These are commands of spiritual warfare. You understand there's always a tension 
between the church and the state. There's always tension between the church and the pagan culture. The church, that's you and me. We are called to provide a prophetic voice, always speaking truth and love. In my exam room at my office, in your lunch room at your workplace, or in the conference room where you meet with folks at your work. Christian people are called to speak the truth at the dinner table on Sunday lunch, at the negotiating table at work. It doesn't matter where you are as a Christian. Your and my responsibility is to speak the truth in love. Our worldview gives us confidence and boldness and freedom from anxiety, regardless of what's happening around us in the world, we are able to smile at the future because we belong to a kingdom not made with hands that endures forever. You see, that's the lesson of King Nebuchadnezzar's dream. And that's why it's important for you and me to know and understand the meaning of Daniel's interpretation of that king's night vision. Well, you're listening to Devotions with Dr. Papa. If you like it, I wish that you would like, follow, or share, and tell your friends about Devotions with Dr. Papa. And we'll be back again next week. May the Lord bless you real good. Thank you for listening to this edition of More Than Medicine. For more information about the Jackson Family Ministry, Dr. Jackson's book, or to schedule a speaking engagement, go to their Facebook page, Instagram, or their webpage at jacksonfamilyministry.com. This podcast is produced by Bob Sloan Audio Production at bobsloan.com.